Well, good morning, church. Just about got a little bit Baptistal during that last song. Uh, that was incredible. And hey, can I just tell you again this week, Merry Christmas to everybody that's out there. We are incredibly glad. Uh, that you're with us today. You know, yesterday uh, we had to cancel our Christmas Under the Stars, and, and I was incredibly bummed, was looking just to hang out uh, with everybody, getting to see everybody outside, safe, social, little distance, all that good stuff. Um, but I'm not going to lie to you, all day yesterday I was just praying for rain. I was like, Lord, please let it rain. Just let it rain. We canceled this thing, and now we're going to look like fools. Uh, but anyway, it did rain just enough uh, to let us know we were okay, and that's all right. Um, we were in this room on Tuesday night with our full staff, uh, with all kind of Burn Hickory staff in this room. And I was saying a couple of things to them on Tuesday. And just something hit me just kind of in my spirit a little bit uh, that I feel like I probably just need to say more. Uh, so I want to say this morning. And, and I just want you to know um, from every person, whether you've been here your whole life or you're just new here, God has incredibly blessed this place with just some amazing people um, that have some amazing gifts and amazing passions in life and we were with our all staff team on Tuesday night and and I just want to just say publicly because I should probably say it more how incredible so many people who serve this church are and that's whether you are a kind of staffy person or you're a volunteer or you're pointing people in the parking lot from not being fools and running over people we have incredible volunteers here and I just I just feel like I just need to say thank you uh, on behalf of this this community uh, for all that you guys are doing uh, here in this church. Well, look, if you got a copy of scripture today, I want you to go ahead and grab it. And I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter four, Hebrews chapter four. And then I want you to flip all the way back over to Matthew chapter two, put something in Hebrews four, or if you're electronic, just go over to Matthew two and you'll be able to get there quicker. Uh, but we're in week number two of our Christmas series uh, entitled The Gift. Uh, the gift. And so last week and this week and next week, and then it's going to leak into Christmas Eve a little bit uh, into the thoughts from Christmas Eve. What we've been doing is that we've been taking a fresh look at these wise men, at these guys that, that brought these gifts to Jesus, Emmanuel, to God, with us. And we've been looking at who they are and what these gifts are and, and what we've been doing and one of the goals in this series. And it's, and it's kind of a goal in studying the coming of Christ and really it's a goal in studying any scripture so much is that we've been looking at a few of the things that God is saying about himself and what is he saying to us. And, and, and one of the kind of major pillars of this kind of Christmas series is one of our goals is, is that we've been trying to kind of debunk possibly some of our Christmas card theology or maybe some of our Christmas carol theology. And we've been wanting to take a really close look at what the Bible says about the coming of Jesus, what the Bible says about who this child was and what it is that he was here to do and what it is is that he is bringing Bringing to earth. And here's the goal in it. I just want us to slow down in it. Now, I know, I know what you're thinking. You're like, Matt, there's never been a slow moment if you're up here and, and you're teaching. I mean, I, I get it. They only give me like 30, 40-ish, 50 minutes up here sometimes. Uh, but, but I really, I, I, want us to, I want us to slow in the moment for a minute. 
And I want us to meet these magi. I want us to meet these wise men. And, and I want us to see the, the, the power behind what it is that they're doing to come and worship the king. To meet Jesus. And I want us, as a result of it, just to walk through this Christmas season. Because I know that some people celebrate Christmas and don't even really know why. Celebrating the Christ child. And not necessarily just celebrating the, the consumeristic lie or narrative that's been given to us. So as we look at these guys, and as we're slow in them, I want us to see the object of their worship. And I want us to see what it is that they're bringing. And then I think we can gain kind of a fuller grasp of who he is. Well, last week we jumped into it uh, pretty quickly and we looked at this gift of gold. We looked at a gift of gold last week, and these guys from the east, they brought this gift to Jesus. The first gift that they mentioned is they brought the gift of gold. Now, gold, we said this last week, is the medal of kings. And they brought this gift of gold to Jesus because the reality is, is that he is not just a king, he is the king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. And so you've got this priestly tribe of, of guys from the east bringing Jesus this incredibly big gift of the gift of gold to represent that Jesus didn't just come to this earth to be your buddy or to be a Christmas card moment, but he came to be King Jesus. He came to be Lord Jesus. And he he came to rise and give us life. And the reality is, we said last week, until we understand that he is king, we really can't understand the other things that are wrapped around him. We can't understand what, what he is and who he is to us. We can't call him our savior until he is our king. That's what we kind of said last week. And, and we walked out of here really studying the worship that these, these magi gave him. And it gave us a little bit of a litmus test through chapter 2. And it said that they recognized his call. And the reality is all of us, if Jesus is going to be our king, we have to recognize the call of the Holy Spirit in our life to turn from our sin and turn to Jesus. But they not only just recognize it, but, but they responded to it. They acted on it. They saw the star rise. They followed the star to meet Jesus. And you know what? A lot of us, we've heard about Jesus a whole lot. We have this head knowledge about who the Christ child is, but the question is, have you responded to the call? Have you given him your life as your king, as your sovereign? But they didn't stop there. They, the reality is they were willing to risk their lives for it. And when we meet Jesus, the, there's this idea behind it in that, that we really now know that our life mission is to honor him and to give him glory and not necessarily ourselves. And they not only risked for Jesus, but they worshiped Jesus when nobody else was. They, they really, they gave their best to him in this key and this gold and these other gifts. And, the, and then we walked out last week saying that when you meet Jesus, you never return the same way. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I hear this conversation. Well, Matt, I, I kind of think that I met Jesus at one time. Or, you know, there's kind of this, maybe this happened. But, but here's what I'm seeing in Scripture when I read it. When you meet Jesus, your life doesn't change from that point. That doesn't mean you don't fall. and doesn't mean you don't struggle. But there is a change in you that points you in a new direction that there is no ambiguity anymore. There's not a question of, well, maybe I did. These guys knew they met the king. And I hope you learned that last week, walking away. You don't have to listen to the podcast anymore. There it is if you weren't here. But let's talk about these magi for a minute, these guys from the east. 
These guys from the east wandered into town to worship King Jesus. And they were really just descendants from a tribe of Medes or a Median tribe. And the reality is they weren't great warriors, but they were incredibly smart. God had given them the gift to, to know things. God had given them the gift of discernment. He had given them the gift of being able to, to read kind of things that are happening. And kings had hired them into their courts for centuries to, to tell them what to do, to tell them how to go to war or where not to go to war. In fact, during, if you'll remember back in the Old Testament, the law of the Medes and the Persians, in order for something to become this law, this priestly tribe had to stamp it as law. In order for a king in Persia to be king, these magi, these Medes would have had to say that that guy can, in fact, be king. That's these magi that we're studying. They began in a religion a long time back that was absolutely pagan. It was actually an astrology, and it was a Zoroasticism, if you want to look that one up later on. And they tried their best to read the stars and read the planets. And, and if you're outside a lot at nighttime, I guess that's just something you might be able to do. But because of this guy named Daniel... Coming into the courts of the Medes, coming into the courts of these Magi, they met the Lord. They heard the stories of Jehovah God 600 years earlier, and they began to see that maybe, just maybe, we've been following the wrong God. We've been following the wrong presence, and they began to mold into this hodgepodge group of a little bit of a little bit of zoroasticism, a little bit of astrology and a little bit of who God is and for 600 years God orchestrated them hearing the prophecies about a coming king. The Old Testament prophecies about Judah and Bethlehem being the birthplace of the Messiah, that he was coming at this time when the, when the Romans were in charge at this moment. So when they saw the star, it wasn't a fool's errand they were on. They're rolling back all the way to Daniel in 600 BC going, that's what he was talking about. So they walk in and they meet Jesus. And I want you to see this in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. They came from the Persian area, Iran in present day. And they walked in and they began to meet with King Herod. They began to get an audience with King Herod. We looked at this a lot last week. And, and this would have been kind of 18 months plus, maybe up to two years after Jesus was born. And I want you to see what happens after they meet with Herod in verse 9. It says, after they heard the king, they went on their way and... The star they had seen when it rose and went ahead of them until it stopped over the place the child was. When the star that they had saw, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and they worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and they presented them with gifts of gold, with frankincense, and with myrrh. Now, I want you to see something here. This, this totally, we kind of breezed past this last week. If you're an English major, if you maybe, maybe in your, your life you became an English teacher, you'll know this. The rest of us dummies, we don't have a clue. But here's what's, here's what's happening right here in this story, right? What's happening is the Holy Spirit is giving Matthew, through the inspiration of God, what to write. That's, we, we looked at this a, a while back on, on the inspiration of God, to write scripture. It's from God, written by man, Right? But I want you to notice some of the things that Matthew did. Matthew, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he doesn't talk a lot about the Magi. 
He doesn't. He just kind of mentions it briefly, like nonchalantly. Oh yeah, there was these guys from the east that came on into town, right? That's basically all that he gives us. There's a couple reasons. One, he kind of was speaking to a Jewish audience and they would have already known who these guys was, so he really didn't have to worry about explaining it. And the second reason is, is that's not the point of the story. It's not the point of the story at all. I also want you to notice that the Holy Spirit in Matthew didn't talk a lot about the star, didn't talk about like the symbolism of the star. And if we'll all go outside and look northwest on the 21st of this month, we're going to see the Christmas star. He didn't talk a lot about what this star was. Why? Because it's not the point of the story. It's not the point to get hung up on them. Was it a physical star? Was it a symbol of the light that led them through the wilderness as Jews? Was it a star that just kind of hovered? It could be the one in Brookstone that's over somebody's house for all I know. It doesn't matter what the star is, right? That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is what we're looking at right here, right? Because why? The Bible's in detail, and the Bible loves details, doesn't give a lot of details on the Magi, doesn't give a lot of details on the star, but what it gives a lot of details on is the gifts. You see, it would have been really easy for Matthew or the Holy Spirit through Matthew just to go, hey, these guys from the east following a star came and they offered Jesus some gifts. But he didn't do that. And I believe every word of scripture matters. And here's what I want you to see. The gifts matter. They matter so much, the reality is, is they're the point of the story. They're teaching us, teaching me and you, that when we come to Jesus to worship, when we meet Jesus, we have to have a grasp on a few things before we know who it is that we're worshiping and why we're worshiping him. Last week is why we looked at the gold. It's that he is the king of kings. We said that, right? But I want you to see something here because the details matter. And not only are these, not only are these gifts mattering, they're emblematic of Jesus' character and they're prophetic of what he is going to do. In other words, they look back at history of where God has brought them. They're looking at the moment that Jesus was born and they're projecting who the Christ child is. Emmanuel is. Now, this is way more than the We Three Wise Man song, right? There's way more here, I promise you, than this. So verse 11 shows us that they brought frankincense. They brought frankincense. Now, this is amazing, but you gotta know what frankincense is. Otherwise, you're just like me for most of my life. They brought gold. They brought frankincense, they brought myrrh. We walked down the road, we walked down the aisle of some preschool pageant at some point in our dad's bathrobe and we presented them before the king, right? It's just what we did. We didn't know what it was. You've been there, right? You know what's happening. But frankincense, this is incredible. Frankincense is a particular, very specific incense. Now, before you go back to your Grateful Dead college days, all right, it's a, it's a, a little bit different than that, okay? It, it, Kinda, but kinda not. It's an incense. In fact, frankincense, I, I got a picture of, the, of where it comes from here. Frankincense is a resin or, or it is a sap that comes from a specific tree called the Botswana thurifera. I know you've always wanted to know that right there. All of you guys that walk every, like, like all the Latin names at the Botanical Garden, there you go. You can look it up. It's a tree that grows in the Arabian Peninsula, in Yemen, Saudi Arabia, and Oman. That's the only places that this tree grows. 
And during this time period, what would happen is, is that the only way for the resin to, to become the frankincense that it needs to be from the frankincense tree, that's what we're going to call it, so I don't have to remember that name, is that once a year, the gardener would go to the tree, he would cut a slit in the bottom of the tree, about an inch deep, all the way about halfway around the tree, and it would allow the sap the resin to ooze out of this tree and it would be this yellow, ambery resin that eventually, if they left it there long enough, it would harden into a crystal form and they would knock it off and they would pulverize it into power or into powder, into this little powdery substance. The only way it got to Israel, the only way it got back to Israel is through long caravans of traders and it was incredibly specific and it was incredibly highly sought after and when it was burned when it was burned it was incredibly aromatic most theologians say that it kind of gave off here's your description for those of you essential oil people it gave off kind of a woodsy or balsamy with a hint of oil smell but but here's the deal it was very different than that bottle that you're about to send me this week of your essential oil uh frankincense not the same thing okay that's a hijacked version i promise you of that um but what happened was was they would they would take it they would pulverize it they would they would light it and it would smell for meters and meters and meters around it and everyone knew what it was so here's the question I mean it doesn't make sense does it we have these wise men from the east walking a long way to present a baby with a box of incense makes no sense he's not trying to cover up anything right it makes no sense until you know what it really is let me give you the principle and we're going to walk through it today the principle is this frankincense was a standard tool for worship and sacrifice for the priest, the middleman between God and man. Okay, let me read that again because this is gonna take us through the rest of the morning right here and I want you to grab this. The principle is this, frankincense, it was a standard tool of worship. They used it in worship and sacrifice for the priest. Who was what? Who was the middleman between God and man? Now, I want you to see something. Every other occurrence in the Bible that the word frankincense is used, it is used in the context of a priest to Jehovah God. Every other one. And it was two very specific purposes. First, it was used, frankincense was used to set apart a priest. It was used to set apart a priest. You see, Matt, what does that mean? It was mixed with oil. It was mixed with other spices. And when a priest was walking through his ordination or his setting apart from becoming kind of a normal man of the Old Testament to move into God's representative, because that's what a priest is, right? When, it, when that happened in his life, they would take the frankincense, they would take other spices, and they would pour it over the head of the priest as a symbol of cleanliness and setting apart and that guy being ordained into service as a priest of God. Exodus 29, take the anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head. It was a moment of setting apart a person, setting apart a priest of God. Leviticus 8, then Moses took the anointing oil and he anointed the tabernacle and everything in it and so consecrated them. What does that mean? Just made them holy, made them set apart. He sprinkled some of the oil on the altar seven times and anointing the altar and all of its utensils in the basin with its stand to consecrate them. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head. Aaron was the first priest, right? And anointed him and consecrated him. What does that mean? 
It means when a priest simplified that they were called into service by God, they would take this outward symbol, pour it over them. So at that point, people knew that this man was the go-between between a holy God and a sinful man. That's what frankincense was used for first. But secondly, it was used in the daily temple worship. It was used in daily temple worship. If you'll study the temple of the Old Testament, you'll see that one of the altars was the incense altar. And every morning and every night, they would bring incense and it would burn them in front of the Lord. And what would happen is the smoke from the incense would rise from earth towards the heaven as a symbol of their worship as a symbol of lifting to God, not only, but what would billow out to others. It was almost as if it hits God, billows out to others. And if you were anywhere around the temple at this time, you would smell this very distinct smell. And it would tell you this, that the priest was lifting up a prayer on your behalf. Every morning and every night. Exodus 30, verse 34 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take fragrant spices, gum and resin, oxiana and galbium, and pure frankincense, all in equal amounts, and make them a fragrant blend of incense, the work of the perfumer. It is to be salted and pure and sacred. Grind them into powder and place them in front of the Ark of the Covenant of the Law and the Tent of Meeting, where I will meet with you. It shall be the most holy to you. Do not make any incense with this formula for yourselves. Consider it holy before the Lord. And then in Leviticus 2, I love the end of Leviticus 2, it's saying that when anyone brings a, a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense. And listen to this, and the priest shall burn it as a memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to God. I love this word picture. It's almost as if God, the Father in heaven, is watching this sacrifice happen, is watching this happen, and it's almost like he's going, and just breathing in and going, man, that's good. And look, he can't smell it. Well, maybe he can, I don't know. But that's not the point. The point is, is he's looking at his priest, the go-between between God and man, looking at him offering this gift. Offering this gift, it's the same gift that Philippians chapter 4, it's the same concept when Paul said that this gift, the financial gift that you had given me, he says they are a fragrant offering and they're acceptable to the Lord. Psalms 141 verse 2, David says, let the prayer be set before you as an incense, the lifting of my hand as the evening sacrifice. This frankincense is the one that Zechariah would have used in Luke chapter 1 when he went into the temple to make his sacrifice. When the Gabriel the angel told him that John was going to be born to him and Elizabeth. It's the priest's daily sacrifice, this aroma to God, to which you're like, why in the world do we care? And I get it. That's a valid question. We care because in this, God has shown us how good he is. In fact, let me, let me just put the pieces together for you. We have a priestly group from another land catch this, that knew about who Jesus was. Bringing Jesus frankincense, which is what? Which is a substance 
for a priest to be used by a priest and they're giving it to whom? Jesus, which is what? Our high priest. He's our high priest. Now, if you're not paying attention, you just don't even know what just happened. But if you are, you just watch the Old Testament priestly sacrifice system. You watch the priest being consecrated, being tied together with the baby Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus of the New Testament. And these guys that are just still trying to figure this thing out, bringing him a gift that would set him apart as a priest and set him up to be our high priest that matters it matters and that's good news why because this is one of Jesus's primary roles in our lives is that he is our high priest now what does that mean what does that mean because there's a whole lot of theology around priests right what does that mean I love the fact that the writer of Hebrews over 11 times refers to Jesus as our high priest, as our high priest for all people and all time. It's one of his greatest roles that he feels. So here's the principle behind this. Just in case, I just want you to be able to put it on paper at this very moment. Okay, I want you to think about this. If you have given your life to Jesus at this very moment, now that he has ascended back to the Father, you have the high priest, your representative, Jesus, fully with God the Father in heaven. Now, there's a whole lot in that statement that's gonna be unpacked through what's about to happen in Hebrews, but we gotta know what is a priest. For those of you who grew up Catholic, you know this. It's the pontifex, right? You had to memorize that. You probably got some kind of, kind of candy for it in your, in your training as a 12-year-old, your catechism training. You probably got that. It's the pontifex. It just means Latin for priest. That's just a fancy word, right? But a priest is literally a bridge builder. That's what it, that's what it literally is defined as. A priest is a person that goes before you to God. That's what the priest's role was in the Old Testament, was it not? It was to go before God. It was to lift before God the sacrifice, to lift before God the atoning sacrifice for what was happening. So now what we're looking at is we're looking at a priest, one that stands on behalf of another in this story, but it's not just one. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And these wise men, oh man, I hope you can catch this. These wise men are bowing before Jesus and they're looking at him saying, we know you're the only way to God. You're the only way. And I hope you see that this morning, that he's the only way. But what does it mean that Jesus is really our high priest? Hebrews chapter four, there's an incredible kind of idea, the thread that runs through it. I wanna give you a couple of them. Number one, it means that, that our faith, it can rest in Jesus and not ourselves. When we can claim that Jesus is our high priest, it means that we're not in this thing called Christianity on our own. We're not in it for the rules. We're not in it for the regulations. We're not in it for the ritualistic things that happen. It means that we can come to God because of what Jesus has done. And it also means that these little P priests, 
all through the Old Testament that have been offering all these sacrifices and all this temple worship and all this stuff, while they were a band-aid, they were not eternal. But now we have an eternal high priest that is looking at us going, look, you don't have to do it on your own anymore. I'm yours. And I'm here to step in to give you forgiveness, to give you sacrifice, to give you access. All of this, Hebrews 4.14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, talking about Jesus, who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firm to the faith that we possess. What does that mean? That means without Jesus as our high priest, you can't hold firm to faith. It can't happen through how good you are. It can't happen through how much you give. It can't happen through how much you come to church. It only means that you have access through Jesus. He's our high priest. But number two, it also means that Jesus fully empathizes with us. He fully empathizes with us. Do you realize that we serve a God unlike any other God that has ever claimed to be that walked literally in your shoes? that did what you do, that struggled how you struggle. And now he is our high priest. He's our high priest. He is now ascended to the Father and he is the bridge between a holy God and a sinful man. Look at verse 15. It says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Do you know what that means? That means Jesus was born and he lived, he was tempted, he struggled, he was hungry, he was cold, he died and he rose. And Jesus, listen to me, he is not a disconnected God from you. He is not a disconnected God that spun this thing into existence and doesn't know what you're going through. Never let Satan drag you into a conversation that makes you feel like God doesn't know where you are because Jesus, our high priest, does. And he lived it, but was without sin. Which leads us to number three. It not only relates, but we can approach Jesus with confidence in times of need because, listen to me, he is for us. He's for us. Look, some of you grew up in churches that would not say this out loud because they didn't want you to think that Jesus was walking this closely to you. They wanted you under some kind of oppression or some kind of system. But, but can I just tell you this? Jesus is for you. He is for you. He would not have done what he did to become our high priest if you did not matter to him. If him loving you did not matter. Never let Satan take this from you. He loves you and you can approach Jesus, listen, no matter what's happening in your life. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how bad people get, no matter how much of it hits the fan, no matter how raw it is or whatever depth that you're at, you can approach Jesus if he is your king, if you know that he is your high priest. He's your bridge builder. He is your pontifex. He is the one who has set himself apart. Look at this, verse 16. Hebrews tells us, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. What does that mean? That means when we come to Jesus, we don't have to do it cowering away. We can do it in that he has already bought us. 
He's already given us life and we can have confidence. Look, so we may have mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people's matters and related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices of sins. But he, look at verse two, Jesus is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and gone astray since he himself, what does it say? was subject to weakness. Do you know something? When you blow it, Jesus knows it. When you don't know where to turn, Jesus knows it. When you don't know what to do, Jesus knows it. Don't allow yourself to be drawn away from Jesus in those times. Allow yourselves to be drawn toward him in those moments because why? He's for you. He's for you. That's Emmanuel of Christmas. I want you to see this, number four. Number four, Jesus, our high priest, became the forever sacrifice for our sins. He became the forever sacrifice for our sins. Now this matters because in this time period that these magi were walking in, at the time period of the Old Testament priests, what had to happen was over and over and over and over and year after year and day after day, month after month and festival after festival, all of this stuff had to happen just for you to hope that you were close enough to God to make it. But what happened when Jesus became the forever is that he just looked at us and said, hey, that stuff, it doesn't have to happen anymore. I'm the lamb. Look at Hebrews 5, verse 5. It says, in the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever. You know, many of us grew up thinking that as soon as Jesus ascended to the Father, as soon as Jesus got back to God, right? As soon as he got back to God the Father, that he was done. But in, in one sense, you are incredibly correct. He was done. He was done being the sacrifice and the sacrificer. But in another sense, listen to this, he only has just begun. He's only just begun because he's our priest forever. Ever. He continues on and on and on and on. How do we know that? Because number five, look at this. Jesus is forever praying for you. He's forever praying for you. You never thought any of this was in the Christmas story. I guarantee you, but it is. He's praying for you. And I want you to see something. It's outside of chapter five, but it's in the theme of the high priest. Hebrews 10 verse 11 says this. Oh, this is so good. It says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. And again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. He's talking about the Old Testament system going, hey, these guys, they're great guys. They've been doing it forever, doing what they've been called to do, but it's never going to take it away. All right, It's just going to put a Band-Aid on it. But when this priest, this is Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, catch this, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he awaits for his enemies to be made his footstool, for, for by one sacrifice he was made perfect forever, those who are being made holy. I love this because I want you to notice something. Anytime you study the temple in the Old Testament, you'll notice there's one piece of furniture that is not present, and it's a chair. I don't know why, but it's just a chair. Did you know, according to Jewish law, that priests, while on duty, were not allowed to sit down? 
They were not allowed to sit down. Why? Because their work was never done. And if you think about it, it's true, right? If you're only just kind of making an atonement for this moment, as soon as you go out and say something you didn't mean to say or do something you meant to do, you gotta hop back into there and give another one, right? You gotta keep this process up. They were never allowed to sit. But I want you to see something. Then Jesus comes along. Our high priest, right? He comes along and he offers the sacrifice. Not just the sacrifice, he becomes the sacrifice for you, for me. He's the lamb, the fragrant offering to God. He's connecting us with God. He dies, he rises, he ascends to the Father in heaven. And what happens? He's finished with that. And what does the guy do? He sits down. He sits down, why? Because you no longer need a sacrifice for your sins. It's already happened through Jesus. It's already happened. Romans 8, 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is seated, catch this, at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Listen, somebody in this Christmas season needs to hear this right here that our God Jesus, our high priest Jesus, our King Jesus, he didn't just die for you, he didn't just raise for you. He didn't just go and sit down at the right hand of the Father for you. He is interceding on your behalf. What does that mean? That means he's praying to God for you. So when Satan begins to creep into your mind and say things like nobody cares, nobody wants you, nobody even knows you, you can speak back to him in that moment and go, my high priest does, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Hebrews 7.25, therefore he is able to save completely those who would come to God through him. Why? Because he is always lives to intercede for them. Do you realize the reason that Jesus just didn't hang up the cleats is because he is still praying on your behalf. That's the Jesus the wise men are worshiping. Look, I, I love it. There, there's so many of you that do this all the time. Matt, you'll, you'll say, Matt, I'm, I'm, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. And listen, man, I, that does a lot for your soul, doesn't it? When someone looks at you that you know specifically, or maybe that you know that walks with Jesus and says something like, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you. That just makes you go, well, well thank you. That, that's, that's incredible. That's an incredible deal. But I want you to let this sink in just for a minute. The God of the universe, Emmanuel, is praying over you. He's praying over you. And here's the interesting thing. He's talking to the Father God about you. Jesus, the pontifex, our high priest, our bridge builder, didn't just give us the way. He's praying for us to have the way. That's Jesus, Emmanuel, is praying for you. Isn't this exactly what this guy named Job prayed for in the Old Testament? Remember Job? God was so big, so strong, but man, Job got crushed where I think some of you are at right now. Your spirit's crushed, your life's kind of crushed. And Job looked at God and he was like, hey God, if only, look at this, Job 9 verse 32. He says, God is not a mere man like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only, listen to what Job said. Oh, this is good. If only there were someone to mediate between us. Someone to bring us together. Someone to remove God's rod from me so that this terror wouldn't frighten me any longer. Then I would speak up without fear. But as it now stands, Job says, I can't. 
Here's the deal. We have the mediator. The Magi came to Jesus and stamped him as the high priest with the frankincense, the gift of priests, to be a rising aroma to God, to cover our sins. And listen, 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for a ransom. Here's what I want you to see this morning. Jesus, our high priest, he's the middleman. He's the middleman. You say, man, I don't like the middleman. I like going straight to the source. Can't do that in salvation. We blew that one. We blew it. But you can do it through Jesus. And isn't Jesus the perfect person for this? Due to his theanthropic nature or his dual natures, all God, all man. Could there ever be a better middleman than one that is fully man? and fully God. Could anybody more relate to man and God than Jesus, the one who has both natures? No. But listen, this Christmas, don't get caught up in a Christmas card. Get caught up in the high priest that is the fragrant offering to the Lord on your behalf. Get caught up on the King of Kings, the Lord of Lord, who has given his life for you. Man, can I just tell you, that I believe every single one of us have this place in our heart that we're trying to fill. We're just trying to fill it. Every person on this planet, I believe it, is trying to fill the spot. And we fill it with all kinds of stuff. It's a gap. It is a major divide. We try to fill it with money and we try to fill it with people. We try to fill it with athletics and friends and identity and sports and fashion and, and, and all this entertainment. But can I just tell you this? Only the bridge builder can fill it. Only the pontifex, the high priest, our Lord Jesus. The Magi knew it. They've been waiting on it, and they got to see it. Here's my question to you. Do you know it? Have you given your life to Jesus? You know, it's a simple simple question, but an incredibly profound process to know that, that in an instant, in an instant, you can ask Christ to forgive you of your sins, to come and live in your hearts, and you can make him king. And from that point forward in your life, you can claim to know the high priest, Lord Jesus. And he covers you. He intercedes for you. And he gives you life. Look, I don't know where you're at right now, but I know this. He loves you. You know, we have a next steps text and we talk about this just about every week. But if you need to meet Jesus today, man, if you'll just text this or if you'll get the app out and you'll just hit the next step app, here, here's what it'll do. It'll just walk you through a few questions. And within a couple hours or even into tomorrow, somebody will get back to you and they wanna pray with you. They wanna walk with you. They wanna explain to you even more what we've talked about this morning. Maybe today you need to join this church or you need to follow through with baptism or maybe today you just need somebody to pray with you because it's hitting the fan right now. Man, if you'll reach out on this text message right here, somebody will get with you because we want you to know that Emmanuel, King and High Priest is with us. Lord, as we worship on the backside of this message today, 
God, today we just want to tell you thank you. God, we don't bring a box of gold or we don't bring a box of frankincense, but today, Lord, we just ask and we just pray that you move in our hearts for a few minutes and you point us in a direction this week that we bow and we worship you, Emmanuel. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together at any point during this song. If you just need to text that number, hey, you go for it. Somebody will get back with you as soon as they can.